Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. Antimicrobial resistant infections are a major threat to global public health. In this month's episode, we explore using bacteriophages to combat these deadly infections. Nikki Sparhage from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Jason Gill, Associate Director of the Center for Phage Technology at Texas A&M University, and Stephanie Strathdy, Associate Dean of Global Health Sciences at the University of California, San Diego, to learn more. In early 2016, Stephanie Strathdy found herself in a heartbreaking situation at her husband, Tom Patterson's hospital bedside, as he battled a rare, multidrug-resistant bacterial infection. She had just learned that the bacteria causing his infection were resistant to even last-resort antibiotics. After the doctors told me that Tom wasn't going to make it, I asked him if he wanted to live and asked him to squeeze my hand if he did. Now, mind you, he was having a hallucination that he was a snake, (laughs) as it took him a while to wrap his tail around my body um, and squeeze, and it took about a minute, but he squeezed my hand. With that, Strathdee took charge of finding a cure for her husband. I just, you know, thought, well, he's going to die. I want to know that I left no stone unturned. I went home and I started doing research on my own. Within an hour, I found a paper that had alternative treatments for treating his superbug infection, and it mentioned something called phage therapy. Phage, from the Greek phagos, meaning one that eats, is a shortened form of the word bacteriophage, which refers to a virus that infects bacteria. Like a number of other viruses, they absorb to the cell surface by uh, tail fibers, which are very specific, recognizing a surface feature. Uh, And then the phage DNA is then ejected into the cell, which then takes over uh, the host's metabolism to produce new phages. Uh, And they actually produce a set of proteins that are produced by the phage themselves that cause the cell to undergo an explosive lysis event, which is obviously lethal to the cell and also releases the progeny phage uh, into the environment where they're then free to find new hosts. Dr. Gill is interested in the therapeutic potential of phages for human bacterial infections. While this sounds like a creative strategy brought about by the current antibiotic resistance crisis, phage therapy is actually an old idea. Bacteriophages were independently discovered in 1915 by British bacteriologist Frederick Thort and in 1917 by French-Canadian microbiologist Félix de Harel. De Harel helped establish institutes for bacteriophage study in the former Soviet Union, and doctors used phages to treat soldiers in the Red Army. As a result, many scientists were biased against phage therapy and viewed it as communist medicine. It didn't help that phages were also quite mysterious. Most of the early phage therapy work that was done in the 20s and 30s was really done in the pre-molecular era. This was before DNA was understood to be the heritable material. Nobody really understood how phages worked, so it was all just very empirical. Scientists did not determine how phages infect and kill bacteria until the 1940s, after penicillin became prevalent. Antibiotics are easy to administer, and many are broad-spectrum, able to kill a wide range of bacterial species. Broad-spectrum treatments are ideal when a patient's life is at stake and there's no time to identify the pathogen. However, these antibiotics kill many bacterial species in the body, including beneficial microbes. Overprescribing and misusing broad-spectrum antibiotics has led to the current antibiotic resistance crisis. 
Using phages to combat infection is more complicated because they only infect a single bacterial species or strain, rather than indiscriminately killing off a diverse bacterial population. Now that antibiotic resistance is on the rise, personalized phage therapy, where scientists identify viruses that target a patient's particular pathogen, is becoming an attractive solution. Phages could be tailored to an individual's unique infection, leaving the microbiome alone. It's just unfortunate. It was really a relatively sophisticated biotechnology that was just premature. Dr. Strathdee's story began when she and Patterson, both faculty members at UCSD, were on vacation in Egypt in November of 2015. We had this wonderful meal atop uh, you know, the upper deck of a cruise ship the last night of our trip, and he got violently ill, and I thought it was food poisoning. I just kind of, you know, thought that he was going to be fine, and when he wasn't, we had to get him taken to a clinic. There was no hospital in Luxor where we were stationed. The doctors initially diagnosed Patterson with pancreatitis. The reality was more dramatic. A gallstone blocked his bile duct forming an abscess the size of a football, where multidrug-resistant Acinetobacter baumannii bacteria made themselves at home. A. baumannii is no stranger to Middle Eastern deserts. It earned the nickname Iraqi Bacter thanks to its spread through soldiers and civilians during the Iraq War. A. baumannii is an escape pathogen, a group of bacteria that caused the majority of antibiotic-resistant infections originating in hospitals. It's impossible to know where exactly Patterson picked up this pathogen. It was obvious that he was running out of time. I realized that Tom was very ill when he was getting delirious. He was just out of his mind, quite literally. And so we had him medevaced first to Frankfurt, Germany. And that's when the doctors told me that this was the worst bacteria on the planet. And when they cultured it, it came back and it was already resistant to 15 different antibiotics and only partially sensitive to three. That's when I started to get really scared. From there, Patterson was medevaced to the hospital at UCSD. Over the next two and a half months, a medical team led by Chip Schooley cared for Tom through a series of ups and downs. Eventually, the news that his superbug was resistant to colistin, the antibiotic of last resort, motivated Strathdee's literature search that led her to phage therapy. She emailed strangers who researched phages that attacked A. baumannii for help. One person who answered her plea was Ryland Young, the director for the Center for Phage Technology at Texas A&M, who assembled a team, including Jason Gill. The team promised to isolate and test phages against Patterson's bacterial isolate. Young also contacted colleagues across the globe, who offered to send additional phages for testing. Their goal was to find a cocktail of three to four phages that could kill Patterson's particular strain of A. baumannii. We found we didn't have any of our own phages that infected that strain. And so we then went out and did a novo phage hunt, just looking for new phages that would infect this strain. Every year we run a phage genomics course, an undergraduate, senior undergraduate course. Part of that class is we have the students isolate phages from environmental samples. And so because we never throw anything away, we actually had a cold room with about 100 environmental samples in it from previous years of uh, phage isolations. We tested all those for phage against Tom's strain, and we found three individual phage clones, which infected that strain. To Strathy's surprise, these environmental samples came from the dirtiest places in Texas, areas with sewage and barnyard waste, because wherever bacteria are found, their viruses are likely also present. Members of Gill's and Young's labs worked around the clock to screen and isolate environmental phage samples for Strathdee. 
They found three that killed Patterson's A. baumannii strain and combined them with a phage from Amplify Biosciences, a phage therapy startup company, to make their cocktail. With phages that could kill Patterson's bacterial strain identified, the researchers wondered if they could actually inject phages into a patient. The possibility of testing this wild idea was quickly becoming a reality. Tom's case was a real eye-opener for us because we're, you know, microbiologists and molecular biologists and genomics people here. We're not medical doctors. Number one, are you even allowed to give it to a person? And it turns out that you can, which was kind of news to us when that happened. We thought, well, you know, they'll never approve this. This is like we're making something in our lab and we're going to give it to a person. The FDA does have this, these you know, emergency IND procedures. So if you have a, a patient who really is in extremists and they don't seem to have a lot of other options, the FDA will consider giving these single-use permits for using experimental treatments to the patient. In addition to the Texas A&M team, a group from the Naval Medical Research Center also came to Patterson's aid. This team screened their extensive A. baumannii phage library and found four phages that lysed the bacteria. Both teams ramped up production to produce phage cocktails pure enough to inject. The scientists faced one final obstacle, removing endotoxin from the cocktails to a level that the FDA would approve for human use. So when you grow phages, right, you have to grow them on the host. And in this case, the only host we had for these phages was Tom's very pathogenic Acinobacter baumannii strain. Uh, and so we had to propagate the phages on that strain. And when you do that, you have then culture media, which has a lot of phage in it, but also has a lot of bacterial cell debris in it. And that includes then the bacterial endotoxin, which is the lipopolysaccharide from the outer leaflet of the outer membrane of graminegative cell. And that material is a very potent uh, inflammatory agent if you inject it into a mammal. You can induce shock very easily if you inject too much of that into someone. Researchers in a lab at San Diego State University next purified the cocktail and reduced the endotoxin levels to below the FDA recommendations. However, trace amounts still remained, which concerned the scientists because of the planned phage delivery route. Patterson's infection was systemic, so the medical team needed to administer the phage intravenously to reach all bacterial reservoirs in his body. What dose would provide enough phage to lyse the bacteria, but also avoid endotoxin-induced septic shock? No published literature existed for IV dosing live phage in humans. The doctors relied on their best guesses. One advantage of phages is that they're able to actually replicate at the site of infection. So you say that they're the only medicine that grows, which in theory is good because if even a few phages make it into a site of bacterial colonization, those phages could replicate then and overwhelm that population. But then it also makes the calculation of dosing more complicated because you can dose somebody with a certain number of phages, but they're going to start replicating on their own. So you don't really know how many phages they're going to end up with. So that was the scariest part, because if we didn't reduce the level of endotoxin uh, below a certain threshold, Tom could die of septic shock. So this treatment was either going to cure him or kill him, we thought. In an incredible turnaround time for drug development, the Texas A&M and Navy teams delivered the phage cocktails for injection only two weeks after receiving Patterson's bacterial isolates. Strathdee signed the medical consent form, giving the hospital staff the green light to start treatment. Well, people ask me if I had to weigh the pros and cons about whether or not to go ahead with phage therapy. And there was really no question in my mind because it was clear that Tom was going to die and he was going to die within hours, not days. And so this was a last ditch attempt. Tom had been in the hospital about four months 
and he was just a skeleton. He'd lost over 100 pounds. He was in what's called multi-system organ failure. So his lungs, his heart, and now his kidneys were failing. And we administered the phages that came from Texas A&M on Monday, March 15th. And two days later, we injected the phages that came from the Navy and injected those into his bloodstream. And three days after that, Tom lifted his head off the pillow and kissed his daughter's hand. Everybody in the ICU freaked out. One of the doctors said, this is like a Hail Mary pass in the last minute of the game where the quarterback is blindfolded and he's throwing the ball 100 yards down the field and somebody caught it. Patterson wasn't out of the woods yet. He received doses of phage for several weeks. But during his progress, the Naval Research Center learned that Patterson's bacteria had developed resistance to both phage cocktails. We were quite shocked at the time, but we hadn't characterized these phages. There wasn't time to sequence them. And it turned out that they were very, very similar to one another. They were all hitting the same receptor. And what you really want are multiple phages that are tackling different receptors to reduce the likelihood that resistance will occur. It seemed likely that the abomanii had shed its capsule, the outer covering that the phages latched onto. It's as if the bacteria had taken off their winter coats, to become unrecognizable to the phages. So when we found out that the phage were not going to be useful because of resistance, one of the Navy researchers, Dr. Biswajit Biswas, turned to his local wastewater treatment facility and obtained some sewage water there and found a new phage. And that was synergistic with one of the original phages and one of Tom's antibiotics. And that was the one-two punch that we needed to wipe out this infection. It was able to kill his infection, and he was cured within three months. It took time for Patterson to become himself again. During his illness, he lost 100 pounds, including all of his muscle mass. He had to relearn how to do basic things such as swallowing, talking, standing, and walking. Today, Strathdee and Patterson advocate for phage therapy to prevent others from suffering. As an infectious disease epidemiologist, I really felt blindsided by the superbug crisis. I knew that multidrug resistance was a problem, but I had no idea that it's a bigger threat to our health than climate change in our lifetime. And that also there's been this 100-year-old forgotten cure that's been there all along. So most people, including doctors, hadn't heard of phage therapy until Tom's case. If he'd had phage therapy very early on in the course of his illness, he could have walked out of the hospital. And that's one of the reasons that we decided to write our book, The Perfect Predator. Although several challenges stand in the way of its widespread use, researchers are moving forward, developing new potential phage therapies. In order to be able to use phages, you need to have a good rapid diagnostic system so you can tell what uh, a person's infected with quickly. So you can so you know which of these specific treatments you need to use. But it's, it requires you know a lot of personal attention. We're actually right now uh, in, in the process of finding phages for a number of other individual cases. Uh, people have recalcitrant bacterial infections, but we can do three or four or five or 10 of these cases, but we couldn't do a thousand, right? We couldn't do 10,000. So how do you scale this up to make it available to a broader swath of people, especially if you're anticipating a future where antibiotic resistant bacteria are going to become only more and more common? 
While Gill doesn't believe phages will take the place of traditional antibiotics, they can be useful in treating chronic infection or cases such as Patterson's, where there is no other option. To speed up the development of a personalized phage approach, researchers are considering pre-made phage cocktails specific for common strains of a single species, such as Salmonella or Pseudomonas. Large phage libraries like the Navy's collection are also valuable for screening patient isolates to match with effective phages. The phage therapy effort also continues at UCSD, where Strathdee and Schooley recently opened the Center for Innovative Phage Applications and Therapeutics. Through the center, they've treated more patients like Patterson and are advancing phage clinical trials. The most wonderful thing is that we have been told that Tom's case has been a turning point in medicine. We've met other people whose lives and limbs have been saved as a result of Tom's case. They've had phage injected into them and it cured their superbug infections. So ours is really a story of privilege because we had the resources and the connections to make this happen, to save his life. But now our goal is to try to take phage therapy to the developing world and to move phage into clinical trials and to develop a phage bank that will allow people to access it much quicker. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the creative services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Sparhage. Please join us next month as we discuss the Human Microbiome Project. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.